Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And of course, you can't hardly talk about the Kingdom of God without talking about the Kingdoms of the World. So what are the Kingdoms of the World? The Kingdoms of the World are the governments of the world, because the Bible is all about government. The Bible mentions government hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in all different forms, and it talks about us seeking the kingdom of God at hand and not doing things the way the governments of the Gentiles doing them are doing them. So what 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 does that mean? Doesn't it doesn't Jesus just want us to go to church on Sunday or Sabbath? Uh, doesn't he want us to build little church buildings where we can go in and sit in quiet pews or chairs, you know, hopefully comfortable chairs, you know, so that you can just relax and and think about God? Because isn't that what religion is? Just what you think about God? And you'll get some order up there who can, you know, give you uh, sermons that make you feel good. And then while you're feeling good, you can think about God. And that's religion, right? Except that's not what religion was. Even when they mentioned it in the Bible, they mentioned religion five times. Four times they're talking about bad religion. <laughs> One time they're talking about good religion, which is pure religion. And pure religion was how you take care of the needy of your society. And it was only considered pure religion if it was unspotted by the world. And what was that world? That world was constitutional orders and systems of government. That's right. That's, that's, I'm just reading you the definition right out of the concordance of that particular Greek world, uh, word, which is the word that means constitutional order or system of government. Because that's what it was. Jesus' kingdom was not of that kind of government. And he told us not to be like that government that exercises authority one over the other. You forgot that. Things that should not have been forgotten have been forgotten. They're not being told to you in your churches because your churches are fulfilling prophecy. What prophecy is that? That many shall come in my name, but I know them not. They're actually workers of iniquity. Not only are they workers of iniquity, they get you to be a worker of iniquity too because they get they get you to covet your neighbor's goods through the exercising authority of men who call themselves benefactors but are not. They're not really benefactors. They take away from your neighbor and they give to you. They take away from your neighbor's children. They take away from your children. Because they borrow money against the future. That's why most nations are millions and billions and trillions of dollars in debt. Is because they... And who are the, who's the surety for that debt? All the citizens entitled to benefits are also responsible for the debt. 
That's the way it works. But there is an insidious war going on. The orcs and uh, golems and evil creatures that go bump in the night are out there in your universities, in your public schools, writing your textbooks. For 50 to 100 years they've been doing this. And you don't know history anymore. You don't know what it says in the Bible. I mean, it, it says it right there. I know somebody I was just talking to the other day said he uh, has a program on his phone where I think it's on his phone. And that's what it sounded like he was talking about. And it gives him a section of the Bible to read every day. And eventually, by the end of the year, you will have read the entire Bible. And that does you very little good, probably. <laughs> Because, for one thing, you're reading the Bible with the preconceived notions that you have some knowledge of what it's all about to begin with. You have preconceived notions about history, preconceived notions about Christ, preconceived notions about the early church, preconceived notions about Israel and what they were up to. What were they doing? What were the Levites doing? Well, weren't the Levites, they were piling up rocks and killing sheep and setting them on fire to make God happy, right? That's what they were doing. Or they had scapegoats where they took a goat and they all touched it and sent it out to the wilderness to die. And then they were saved from their sins by sending out this scapegoat to die, right? That's what they were doing. What if I told you that's not what they were doing? <laughs> uh, well, they, they put up a golden calf and they, they fell down and worshipped it and uh, and young girls danced around it. I saw it in a movie, right? That's what they were doing, wasn't it? No, that's not what they were doing. Lots of city-states had golden calves or golden statues. That's not what the golden statue... What was the function of those golden statues? What were they doing in those pagan temples? They're doing it the same thing you're doing in your pagan temples. Except you don't call them pagan temples. You call them government buildings. <laughs> that's what you call them. Because that's what they were back then and that's what they are now. But see, the thing is you don't know those, those things. You think, oh... Well, they were just, those are just pagan temples full of superstition. Well, here's the superstition. Your government can borrow trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars from the Federal Reserve and it's not going to do any harm to you. There's a superstition. <laughs> it's not going to affect your economy. It's not going to plummet you into a, a uh, economic collapse and runaway inflation. That's the superstition, because it probably is. But the critical thing is not the fact that your economy may eventually collapse and and grind to a halt and people starve in the streets and all that stuff. That's not that's not literally as important as the fact that you need to think differently. You need to repent. That's what repenting means: is think differently. Well, in order to think differently, you have to be willing to admit that the way you're thinking now ain't a good idea. That's that's where you are at. You have to think. You have to be willing to think. Willing to just entertain the idea. 
that what you think is true might not be so. And what do we call that? When you're willing to entertain the idea that you could be wrong about your opinion of what is in the Bible. You know what we call that? Humility. (laughs) That's that's what Christ wanted us all to have, is this humility. And uh, there's an awful lot of people running around don't seem to have much of that humility. There is a fake humility running around. Somebody sent me a book, and I got it in the mail, and... They actually mentioned the book, and I knew somebody had mentioned it. I get, you know, you have to remember, I get hundreds of emails daily. I mean, I actually get thousands. I have some filters. I was just going in and and looking at uh, what automatically gets thrown into one of the filters. And, you know, I have to go through thousands of emails. So I'm scanning through, looking, and I have... Filters on filters (laughs) to make sure that I don't miss something because a lot of people write me from all over and I don't want to miss that, but I cannot. The way to do this, this is impossible. It it is impossible to answer everybody's question and to answer everybody's phone call and all that stuff. I had a phone call the other day. I was on it for a couple hours, I think. At least, I, I don't know. It seemed like a long time. My wife thought it was a long time. And, uh, it's somebody that has been here before and uh, seems to call me like once every other year. Well, of the thousands of people I know, if everybody calls me once every year, I'm never going to get out of this office and I'm never going to do anything <laughs> that I need to get done. So what we did, based on the suggestion and commands of Christ, is we organized a network where you can organize yourselves, an email network, where you can organize yourselves into a physical network, which we call the living network, of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's what the early church was doing. It was doing it because the early people, early Christians, the original first Christians, the Christians at the beginning, were doing what Christ commanded. They were organizing themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they could actually practice pure religion without becoming workers of iniquity. Modern church doesn't seem to have that grasp. (laughs) They don't seem to get that. They have not yet put that together. Occasionally, I've seen a few missionaries doing that, where they're in countries where they're getting persecuted, and they suddenly say, let's do this, which is to organize ourselves into this this group of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they, they needed to do it. Uh, China has been doing it uh, here and there because of the fact that the Christian church was persecuted in China. But they they aren't necessarily practicing pure religion. Most of the Christians in China are not practicing pure religion. Most of the Christians in in uh, a lot of the other Indonesia countries and some of these other countries in the Philippines, they're not practicing pure religion. The poorer the community, the more likely they might be doing that. But the more socialistic the government, the less likely 
they're going to do that. But as those socialist governments begin to decay, like they did in Venezuela, then Christian, true Christianity can start to begin to be born. But what we're explaining to you is the actual nuts and bolts and the mechanics of Christianity. That doesn't do you any good unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, like the fellow who called the other day. He's not in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He just, he wants answers for questions that come up in his mind. And so, during the course of our conversation, he noticed I kept going back to the same thing. As sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and caring for one another as much as you care for yourself. Caring for your neighbor's children as much as you care for yourself. So that nobody has to go to the men who call themselves benefactors who are working in governments. But actually are not benefactors. They only give you what they take away from your neighbor. We become accustomed to that. And of course we, we've talked about Polybius who explained 2000 years ago, 2000 plus years ago that if you become accustomed to that, you will alter the very character of your community. Well, that's already kind of a done deal, but that's where you often end up so that you have a place to repent from, <laughs> so that you can go back. I recently wrote, the only hope for mankind is to remember the way of the ancients and forget and forgive the mischief upon mischief that societies have been uh, uh, placing upon one another. Uh, the mischief of the past, the mischief of, of our own imagination. You see, it's our, to imagine who Jesus Christ was and to worship the image that you imagine of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. He's my king. But then at the same exact time, turn around and ask men who exercise authority one over the other for benefits you know can only be provided at the expense of your neighbor and your neighbor's children makes you a hypocrite. It makes you worshiping a self-created image of Christ. You have imagined Christ You've imagined his gospel to be okay with the idea of praying, applying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You're okay with that idea. You imagine that Jesus is okay with that idea. But Jesus said you are not to be that way. Said it in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And he said it in many other ways in, in John. And he also said it, I mean, Moses even said it. I mean, the Ten Commandments even said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. There's not an addendum to that that says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods if you do it through men who exercise authority and you call those men government. Now it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. You can desire to have free public education, free protection by police force, free uh, prison systems to lock up the bad guys. You don't have to worry about it. Government will do all that. 
And they will force the contributions of everybody who is in your neighborhood so that they can afford to do it. And if they can't afford even by that forcing of the contributions, they can take it from the next generation. You can curse the next generation with debt because you can borrow against the next generation. Now, of course, that's going to make you merchandise. Peter said that was going to make you merchandise. And it has. He said that through your covetous practices, you would also curse your children. And you have. I mean, you, you heard that in the news probably in the last couple of weeks that we're trillions of dollars in debt. We're borrowing more and more money. Well, who's supposed to pay that back? Don't worry about it. They won't make you pay it back. Your kids can pay it back. And your neighbor's kids. And you tell me that you love like Christ. And that you love Christ. But see, you're under a strong delusion that you're actually a Christian. You you actually think you're a Christian while you're doing this. Now, what I just did, in a roundabout sort of way, was attack that, that delusion. And I'm, I'm constantly being told by... Uh, people that are close to us and work with us, that I should not attack their delusion. Of course, that's why Christ talked in parables. He he talked in parables because you can misinterpret the parable. And then you won't think he's attacking your delusion. And so you can keep hanging around him and he'll tell you more parables. But I come right out and I just... I just say you're you're not to be the way that everybody else is saying that you should be. You should be the way Christ commanded you to be. Live by faith, open charity, not force, fear, and fealty. Not swearing allegiance to a ruler so that you can get benefits at your neighbor's expense. You're not supposed to be doing that. Well, you know who else did that kind of stuff? John the Baptist. They cut off his head. I probably should change my my tactics. <laughs> Look, I'm not. I'm just attacking the delusion. I'm not attacking your delusion. But I pray daily that you give up your delusion and have the humility to repent and actually seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So anyway, there's a war going on. We see it. And and we've been doing this mischief of coveting our neighbor's goods for a hundred years or more in, in America and all over the world. And now we're seeing these riots in the streets and that. The riots in the street are nothing compared to what's really going on behind the scenes. The riots in the street is just, it's kind of like a, 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 a pussy pimple on your nose <laughs> it's sticking out there where you can see it and it kind of hurts if you touch it but that's not the problem the problem is that you're you're racked with cancer in your society and and you actually feed the cancer that's one of the things cancer loves sugar if you feed the cancer uh with sucrose or or, or what is it uh High fructose corn syrup <laughs> and all these things that feed the cancer. The cancer's gonna grow. And that's what you're doing. And so like I said, somebody sent me this book, White Fragility. 
by uh, Robin D'Angelo. And, uh, well, I looked at it. And we may get around to talking about it. We may not do it till the third hour of this afternoon. But uh, uh, I wanted to talk about some of these other things that have been coming up. I have, I have pages and pages of notes to talk to you about. Uh, there, there can be no righteous redistribution of wealth except by individual choice. You can't do it by the collective. And the enemy wants you to do it by the collective. You know, the Mordor, the, where the, uh, all those evil things that come out of the two towers in the movie, in the book, Tolkien's book. Uh, that's the collective. They all work as one. You know, the, the nine rings. And one ring rules them all. They give power to everybody, but somebody else controls that power. Well, God actually gave the individual power of choice. And so that's... The redistribution of wealth has to remain with the individual. And that individual's relationship with God. And before we're done, we're going to come back to that idea. Uh, that idea of individualism. Which is hated by the Marxist. Hated by uh, the intersectionality people. You aren't individuals. You're members of groups. And they have to divide you up into members of groups in order to... Be inclusive of you. You can't get in as an individual. You have to be a member of a group. So they're dividing you by gathering you in these groups. They're dividing you from everybody else. See, the relationship with everybody else should be equal as individuals. Not as a collective. Nobody gets into heaven as a collective. <laughs> that's, just, that's not the way it works. You're not operating by faith, hope, and charity if you're a collective, you're operating by force, fear, and fealty. Fealty to your group. And then they can include your group. This is this is the strategy of Nimrod. And literally the strategy of Cain. They, you have to bind the people together by other means. Not by love, but by law. And that's, of course, what they're doing with the golden calf. Your wealth... The fruits of your labor, your gold earrings, came off and went, were deposited in the golden calf. Now, you didn't defend your neighbor, you defended the golden calf. But you also created a target, because anybody who saw that calf said, hey, if we conquer these people, we get that gold. <laughs> so, so it was actually, and the, in the final analysis, the bonds, of personal loyalty will be stronger if you do things according to the ways of Christ. But you haven't been following Christ. You've been following an image of Christ created in your minds by false teachers who haven't been telling you the truth that is clearly written in the gospel. So anyway, we're going to explore a little bit of that truth and you can find, I mean, I have to say a little bit because there's so much. But we're going to look at that and see what you've been missing. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. So what we were talking about, we were talking about the redistribution of wealth, which is everybody, you know, they they talk about reparations. They talk about uh, social welfare. They talk about equality. 
they talk about guaranteed income. All this is about redistribution of wealth. You, you, none, socialism does not create wealth. It redistributes wealth. It takes from one group of people or one individual and gives to another individual, usually based on groups. Because they're organized. That's one of the things you, you see with these riots. They're organized. But you're not organized. But this is why Christ commanded that you get organized. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You organize yourselves. And the ministers are required. They were commanded to make sure that you organize yourselves. Because if you don't organize yourselves, they're just going to pick you off one by one. So, anyway, there can be no righteous redistribution of wealth except by individual choice. And that is the design of God's kingdom. That the individual chooses to sacrifice a portion of what he has produced or she has produced to the sacrifice to the advantage of other people within society. And they do this on a, as close to an intimate basis as you possibly can, which is why they were commanded to organize into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. This idea that Jethro came up with the idea of the tens, hundreds, and thousands is fallacious. He came up with that idea to deal with the courts. They already had that idea. <laughs> they had that idea. Nimrod even organized the people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But he did it from the top down. Saul did it. But he did it from the top down. Uh, they, they, To some degree, they were already doing it from the bottom up by the time Saul came along. But then you had Saul, and then you had, finally you had Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was going to, it was authority from the top down. Not from the bottom up. But that's because you can't keep your rights if you don't exercise your responsibility. This is just the law of cause and effect. So to take that choice away from the individual will alter the course of society, or alter the very character of society, the nature of society, because it will take away what makes man a man, which is choice. God has given you choice. This is one of the insidious things about some interpretations of Calvinism. They say, well, you, you, you don't make any choices. Well, you make one choice. And that is you choose to follow God as he is, not the image of God. That you have in your mind. But the actual God. (laughs) The actual spiritual force that has given us this unique design of life that we see all around us on this planet. This intelligent design. That's the God. Now we imagine what that God is and we draw pictures of him and we, we apply characteristics to him and But he is what he is. That's actually what he was called. He is what he is. Yahweh. He is what he is. But 
he is not necessarily what you think he is. That's the image of God in your mind. And religion is not what you think about God. Religion is actually the pious performance of a duty to God, which includes a duty to your fellow man to love your neighbor as yourself and not to murder him, to cut his goods, to steal from him. Any of these things that are in the Ten Commandments are telling you, you no, you can't steal from your neighbor. You can't murder your neighbor. You can't lie to your neighbor. You can't covet your neighbor's goods. So we, we, that should be, you should have that written down. And of course we do. It's called the Ten Commandments. And there's more into that, but I'm just dealing with those particularly unique instructions. But most Christians have abandoned those destructions and do covet their neighbor's goods through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority and you call those men government. But Jesus said you were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. So how can you tell me you're following Christ when you're doing the exact opposite of what Christ said to do and not do? Years ago, Archibald McLeish stated, now Archibald McLeish actually worked for FDR. He said, freedom is a right to choose. The right to create for oneself the alternatives of choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man but a member, an instrument, a thing. Now, he realized that and stated that. And he worked for FDR. And, you know, he held a number of other different positions, actually in a library, (laughs) if I remember right. But what he said is true. And, And he's... He came to that conclusion when he was watching FDR moving America. FDR was a socialist. And and he was advocating socialism. You know, his new deal. Which, of course, is not a new deal. It's an old deal. It's Nimrod's deal. And uh, he was offering that to the people. And they were becoming accustomed to it. And it was altering society. It was altering the character of the individuals within society and therefore the character of society. It was altering the way they think. It was the antithesis of repentance. But many of us had to go that way in order to have the opportunity to repent and return. We became lost sheep under FDR and others. I mean, I don't want to put everything on him. Woodrow Wilson was doing some of the same things. Certainly LBJ was, Lyndon Baines Johnson was doing some of the same things. But this redistribution of that which is produced by the sweat and blood and life of the individual or by any member of any collective requires some force but diminishes freedom, undermines freedom, and degenerates the very soul of mankind. 
It is blood sacrifice compelled by the government. It is an offering compelled by the government. Saul did a foolish thing. He compelled a sacrifice. And and uh, people went along with it because they were afraid of the Philistines that were going to be coming. And, and you know, they, they kept saying that over and over again. The Philistines are getting ready to come. You know, it's like terrorism, terrorism, terrorism. They were going to come and terrorize us. We need to build our army up. Okay, let's force a sacrifice. And Samuel said, you've done this foolish thing. And and this is what we've been doing and we've become accustomed to doing it. We think there is no other way of doing it. But that's exactly what Christ came to teach us is the other way to do it. But in order to get to that point, you had to first get your attention with a few miracles. And of course, John the Baptist was, you know, clearing the way for this by saying that, you know, you don't operate by force. If you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have a coat, you share. And, you know, if you do the same in meats, he says. This is, what, this is the whole message of John the Baptist. And it's certainly the, the essential characteristic of the message of Jesus Christ. And if you will not accept that message, if you do contrary to what Christ said... If the fruits of your heart is that you are deciding it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority and force contributions and borrow against the future of your children. If you think that's okay, you're not following Christ. And so, you have need of repentance. You have to realize... John the Baptist was attacking the delusion of the people that it's okay to elect, because actually the first emperors were elected by an electoral college. I mean, who elected the Senate? That was the people, and the people elected the emperor. And the emperor took an oath of office. Ten-year term of office. The emperor was in a ten-year term of office. Four years for the President of the United States, but for the Emperor of Rome, it was ten years. And that they divide, they had this idea of separation of powers, but they would allow the same man to hold three different offices. One of those was Imperator, which is Commander in Chief. The other one was Principas Civitas, which is the first citizen or which you'd call the chief executive officer of Rome. And the third one was Apotheos. He was the head of the Supreme Court. Well, when Augustus Caesar, the first Caesar, was out there in the field being the commander-in-chief, somebody else was winning the election to be the president of Rome, (laughs) the chief executive officer. That was only a one-year term of office, so that was every year that could change. But it was probably one of his buddies that got elected. You know, he endorsed somebody and that guy got elected. But he took care of business while Augustus was out of town. And the same way with being the ruling judge. The apotheos. The procurator of Rome. 
because he could hold all three offices or he could give those offices to somebody else. And of course, uh, or one of those offices, he could say, well, have this guy. Well, one of those guys eventually under Tiberius was Pontius Pilate, which I'm not going to go into right now. But I did on the phone the other day and I explained a little bit because he was asking questions about that. But there really isn't any value in me giving, filling in the details of different characters in the Bible and what was really going on and why it was going on if you're not willing to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ was very clear about that when they asked him about why do you speak in parables? Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But it's not given unto them to know. Now, he was speaking parables to everybody, not just those who sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I assume that those who did sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, at least by way of the ministers of the 70, which was his Sanhedrin, and the apostles, which were the heads of the tribes, literally, I mean, 12 apostles, 12 tribes, uh, they 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 weren't organizing themselves necessarily into the tribes like the the, the Levites and the and uh, the tribe of Judah or whatever, but they did organize themselves in the tens, hundreds, of thousands, and eventually that would mean that these men would probably become the ministers of ministers of ministers of ministers. They weren't allowed to exercise authority like other governments because Christ's government was not that kind of government. It was kind of like Gideon. I and my family will not rule over you. Peter and Paul and the apostles did not rule over the people. They provided the service of a daily ministration that operated through faith, hope, and charity. You're not doing that now. Most of you are not doing that. Some of you are rebelling against the system that operates by force. You're, you're not paying your taxes and you think that, well, that, that, that's not what God wanted. Well, Christ said if you owe the tax, pay the tax. And we say the same thing. But I, we're also telling you why you owe the tax, why you're under tribute. What does the Bible say about being under tribute? It says the slothful shall be under tribute. It says that through covetous practices you will become merchandise. What what Archibald McLeish says is a member, an instrument, a thing. That's that merchandise. You're a thing. You're a surety for debt. It talks about that in the Bible over and over again. Becoming a surety. A snare and a trap. That if you lurk privately for blood of your neighbor through these systems, that you may be snared in the very trap of your own making. And that's, of course, what's happened. Now, I'm using some of these terms because when we get into white fragility and all that, as a part of this little mini-series in the structure of the kingdom, there's going to be people talking about destroying the system. And that's what white fragility is really all about, is to enlist white people and black people in the destruction of the system that allows for individualism. 
Because white virgility is a war on individualism. It's a war on any idea of attaining what you attain through the sweat of your brow. Through work. Through personal sacrifice. It's not through personal. It's you get everything because you're a member of a group. And if your group conforms to our ideology, then we will encompass you. We will include you in our group. If you say anything that is contrary to our ideology, we will shout you down. We will not allow you to speak. We will take away your rights. We will even uh, riot and burn down your community. Because they, theirs is the spirit of corruption. Theirs is, is the spirit of destruction. Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. Minor prophets talk about it. That's where you're at right now. now. I don't know how many of the writers think that they're Christians. But all the protesters out there protesting that give cover to the rioters, that they, they are complicit. Because what are they protesting? They're, they're protesting a lie that they have accepted into their imagination. But of course, they are easily... See, once you start worshipping your imagination, your thoughts, what you think is true, what you want to think is true, because that's what they depend upon, they tell you what they... That you, what you want to hear and you accept it. And, you know, the, the book White Fragility is just, I mean, it is, it is painful to read. <laughs> if you know history, it is pain. If you know people, if you know and understand people, you realize this is one of the most insidious books that has come around, along, well, certainly in this century. And it's a bestseller. Teachers are getting in everywhere and they think, oh, this is so good and it's selling us so... And they cannot see the lie. Now, there are people who do and there's a lot of people that speak out about it. And we're going to talk about a lot of the people that are speaking out about what is true and actually saying what is true. There's a lot of them out there. And uh, a, a lot of black philosophers... I don't know. You should call them philosophers. They're they're intelligent. They're outspoken, uh, and they're right on the money. They have this certain. I'm not going to call them conservatives, but a common sense that they have. And people should be listening to them. Of course, they've been around. I mean, go back to Booker T. Washington and and those people. But I mean. People alive today speaking out and telling you how it works. But then you have these Robin DiAngelo's going out there and telling you lies. I mean, she is a flat out liar. <laughs> I mean, that's just, there's no other way to say it. And, but she, people believe her. They cheer her. And they, because they cannot hear the lie. They cannot, they cannot see the truth. They do not have eyes to see. And so they, you know, she's very snaky. She can seduce people with the words that she says. But that's because that we become accustomed 
to living at the expense of others and depending for our livelihood on the property of others and we dare not call it covetousness. If you're covetous, if you're engaged in those covetous practices, another way to call that from the point of view of the kingdom of God, you're a treason. You're a traitor. You're, your covetous practices are treason to Christ. You've abandoned Christianity. You call yourself a Christian. Jesus warned many would do this. But they're actually workers of iniquity. You need to repent. Turn away from that. Go the other way. But what way is that? Well, one of the ways is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and then we can show you the technicalities and the nuts and bolts of how that works. You'll probably start figuring it out on your own once you start doing it. The kingdom of God is a learn by doing thing. You're not going to learn it by reading a catechism. All our books are free online. But that isn't going to teach you. You have to become a doer of the word. Christ was adamant about that. It's it's not about going to church. You can go to church. It's not about singing songs. You can sing songs. It's not about reciting endless prayers. Although you can recite prayers. It's about doing the will of the Father. He who doeth the will of my Father. Now, many of you have not been doing the will of the Father for a long time. But you still may be eligible for the kingdom. Because Now, you're not earning. I'm not saying you're earning salvation. You you earn condemnation. <laughs> you earn damnation. Uh, but you can't. There's no way God's going to owe you salvation. So there's no way you're going to earn it. But if your fruits are the fruits of those who exercise authority one over the other, and your fruits of your life is the covetous practice and the dependence upon men who call themselves benefactors, then you might consider the fact that that, those fruits are showing you that you're not really a believer. You believe in an image of God, an image of Christ, but you're not actually doing what he said. If you're not actually doing what he said, you're not really a follower of Christ. And if the definition of a Christian is a follower of Christ, you don't qualify. So, as we said, and, and this has been demonstrated in ancient, even modern history, that the real destroyers of liberties of the people is he who spreads amongst them bounties, donations, and benefits. That the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats and gratuities. Now, people like the Roman centurion probably read that. He probably knew what Plutarch had said. He was aware of these teachings. He might probably read Polybius. So, when Christ came along, he realized Christ is hitting the money on the head. You know, like Jason Riley. He, he's, he's seeing it. He's getting it. Thomas Sowell. He's seeing it. He's, he's expressing it. Uh, trying to think of some of the other names right offhand. <laughs> Bob, Bob, uh, is it Swinson? Uh, all these guys are out there 
speaking the truth, but people are listening to Robin D'Angelo instead of the truth that... And she, her writings are so... I was going to start pointing out all the different fallacies in her writings, but it just it just goes through so many. Just based on her dubious facts that she has in her books, which are, are they're not really the truth. Because, I mean, what a lie is, some of the things she says is true. Some of the things that the devil said in, uh, I don't know if that, we've got an Air Life helicopter going over us at a low deal that may be getting on the record. <laughs> It'll pass in a minute. But, uh, She'll say some things that are true, and of course the devil in the garden said some things that are true. But then all you do is leave out certain facts. And of course, if you study American history, with modern history books, you know, it's all, you know, wonderful and everybody does these great things and we're charging up the hill with our American flag to save the day and all this kind of stuff. And and that's kind of grade school history. And that, you know, when you're first introducing history of your nation or the history of your people, you'll have that, you know, the noble guy and everything. Later on, supposedly when you get into high school and and college, you can start seeing that these men had flaws. And they made mistakes. And that they were under, I remember Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense and had a lot of good ideas and everything. As he got older, he came up with some ideas. He repented of them before he died. At least he seems to have in his writings. But he came up with some ideas that are very socialistic. That he was going to tax people to take care of the elderly. Because he was about to become one of those elderly. <laughs> so he thought that was a good idea. But then later on he wrote that that was not a good idea. And and somebody helped him out. But he should have made wiser choices when he was younger. But the reality is, is this is this is a learning process. None no none of our heroes are expected to be perfect. But we'll be back. So be there. So we see these crazy things going on in the streets today with the rioting. Uh, there was a white girl who was. Uh, Yelling at two black police officers and condemning them, and and uh, there was another situation where somebody was. Uh, I heard a police officer talking about somebody, a white lady again, yelling at him uh, who was standing there doing his job, and he says that these people that are protesting with Black Lives Matter. Uh, saw another fellow that was outside an outside restaurant. Uh, with dozens and dozens of people. I, I only saw black people in the restaurant, although I think there were some white people there, but I happened to notice I uh, only saw a few of the tables. This is all outside stuff at night. But uh, they were having a meal, and it was all destroyed because these protesters came in. Most of the protesters, according to him, and he was holding up his phone filming this, were white. Marching with Black Lives Matter, yelling the Black Lives chants and everything, and attacking black people. 
who were telling them to stop and to stand down. And they ran off a black entertainer who was entertaining the people that were having this meal and everything. All because of the shutdown, they had to do it all outside and everything. And uh, then they started throwing bricks and then uh, at windows and and it just got out of hand. And it none of them wanted to have a civil discourse. No, they were just ruining everything for for mostly black people. But it's and it was mostly white people in with the black life. And now we also have the Palestinians going out there protesting with the Black Lives Matter, jumping on this bandwagon of violence because it's not just protesting; that is violence. I mean, this is why buildings are getting burned down, people are getting beat up. Because it's actual violence. It's not peaceful. Peaceful protesters come in to give a cover. You know, they're kind of the Trojan horse for the violent protesters. And this is not the majority of the people. These are small groups of minorities fomenting this violence. And why are they doing it? Because And why are the uh, Democratic governors and mayors not doing anything about it? And even Republicans, uh, sometimes they're not doing anything about it because they're afraid of the backlash. And because they want to get force Trump's hand to come in and stop the violence. Stop the rioting. And then then somebody's going to get injured and then they're going to say, oh, we have to vote Trump out. He's, he's, he's causing all this. The ones causing it are the ones who are, are giving license to people saying crazy things like, oh, well, they're just venting their frustration because of slavery, you know. And No, that's nonsense. Why weren't they venting it back in, in uh, 1870 and 1880? I mean, there were a few riots back then. We have old page that talks about riots. But there was a great deal of prosperity. No, the black community even though it was constantly rising, getting better and better, and ever, it, it began to turn and go the other way with the policies and institutions of FDR. And eventually then LBJ put it on steroids. And then Cloward and Piven, who are Marxists, uh, targeted the black communities to get them all to become accustomed uh, for the benefits provided through the covetous practices of a socialist state, of the welfare state. And, and it takes us back to exactly what Polybius said, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of a rule of force and violence. Why do we say force and violence? Force contributions for the needy and for the poor are force. That's force. And if if you arrest people and, and, and throw them into jail because they didn't contribute the right amount, that's violence. <laughs> that's what that is. And the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others institute this rule of violence. And then uniting their forces... They end up massacring and banishing and plundering until they degenerate. The people literally degenerate again to perfect savages, which is what you see in these riots. 
Now, now they're protesting. Some of them are protesting, but it degenerates over and over again. And then you see some of the protesters trying to stop the violence. But what are the protesters actually protesting? What What is their actual philosophy? That somehow or other the government is not doing enough and that they're, they can't make it. This is one of the, the horrible things in white fragility. Is that we, we have to become, well I won't go into all the details because we'll cover it eventually, but she is so condescending to blacks that they can't make it unless, you know, we have affirmative action and we, and we, we take responsibility for thousands of years of slavery and all this kind of stuff. Caesar enslaved millions of people, killed a million Gauls. And the Gauls were all white. Caesar was white. The English brutalized the Irish. It was against the law to teach an Irishman to read. They were oppressed. They were enslaved. They were sold into slavery. More whites were sold into North Africa as slaves than blacks were ever taken from Africa to America. That's just statistically the facts. So who gets those reparations? It's ridiculous. That's in the past. Men do evil things. At the same time, men were risking their lives to save people from slavery. Men were giving up fortunes to buy people who were hostages as slaves. From, you know, I mean, even uh, some of the early American settlers. John Smith. He, he was enslaved. He was captured and enslaved. He eventually escaped. Others escaped. But more did not escape. Many died. Women, children, all sold in the slave markets of North, uh, slave markets of North Africa by the millions. For centuries and centuries. Men do bad things to men. The thing that I see is the spirit that we see in these so-called demonstrations that eventually degenerate into riots is the same spirit that enslaves people. And I, I can sit down and I can actually show you every socialist believes in slavery, advocates slavery, promotes slavery. Now, I'm not going to explain that. As they say, I don't, I'm not going to bisect that <laughs> or dissect that for you right now. But I will eventually. And I have in the past. But these ideas of FDR and LBJ and Karl Marx degenerate people because it gets people accustomed to the idea of force. The Bible tells us this. Saul tells us this. If you go back, I mean, you can read it over this idea of coveting your neighbor's goods, forcing the redistribution of your neighbor's goods. It's totally anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-the Bible. This is why I tell you that you cannot be a Christian and a socialist. I mean, Deuteronomy 5.21 Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou 
covet thy neighbor's house, his fields, or his manservants, or his maidservants, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. You've got income tax, property tax, state income tax, federal income tax. All these things is perpetrated by men who exercise authority where you desire benefits at their expense. Now, if you owe the tax, pay the tax. But what you need to do is turn around your thinking and realize that there's a problem with that. It's going to degenerate society. It's going to decay society. And Saul's kingdom wasn't going to stand and neither is yours. Psalms 10.3 The wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The people who admire FDR because he, he did so much. He introduced Americans more so than almost any other president up to that point to the idea that it's okay to take away from your neighbor to get what you want. It's okay to borrow against the future of your children to get what you want right now. He changed the way in which Americans think it's time for us to repent. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-six: He coveteth greedily all the days long. But the righteous giveth and spareth not. Well, that's LBJ. Greedily, all day long. (laughs) Welfare. Uh, Unprecedented welfare. Great society. War on poverty. But what we should have been doing is taking care of the needy through charity. Where the righteous choose to give and spareth not. I mean, you got people giving, I mean, Black Lives Matter, who doesn't really care about black lives. If they did, they would do something about abortion. They'd do something about 50% of the murders in the United States are committed by blacks. They'd be focusing on that because that's where lives are being lost. Not, not nine black people, unarmed people shot by cops. Many of which are probably, most of which are probably justifiable shootings. You know, you have to take it by a case-by-case basis. uh, This is the the statistics. We've seen this with the coronavirus, how they can manipulate statistics by the way in which they collect them. And, you know, I'm going off of what black men tell me. Black statisticians tell me that this idea that blacks are being killed or targeted or that there's this uh, unprecedented racism and... uh, And police forces, they say it doesn't exist. They say actually to the contrary. It it is actually taking place to the contrary. That you're less likely to be shot. That they get away with a lot more stuff than a white man would get away with if he tried the same thing. Statistically speaking, that's what the black statisticians are telling me. So... Anyway, the uh, as I said, Proverbs twenty one twenty six coveteth greedily. That's what we've we moved from FDR to LBJ, and then now we we've got the Democrats wanting to give reparations and all that stuff. Totally impractical, total nonsense. 
But Jeremiah 6.13, what does it say? Because I said Jeremiah talks about this, Isaiah, Ezekiel, even the lesser prophets. He says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Yeah, in chapter 8, verse 10, Therefore will I give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. There is a price to pay. From the prophets even to the priests. So he says this twice. He talks about this twice. Even... He actually talks about it numerous times. You can go to Jeremiah fifty-one thirteen and twenty-two seventeen also as well. But thine eyes and thy heart are not, but for thy covetousness, and for to shed innocent blood. Innocent blood is mentioned back in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, ten, I think, or is it one ten? Yeah, Proverbs 1.10, right off the bat, I think it starts with talking about innocent blood. You go to shed innocent blood. And of course, abortion is shedding innocent blood. But borrowing against the future of your children is shedding innocent blood. As everybody talks about blood sacrifice. That was one of the things the call was about yesterday. Is that wanted to know about blood sacrifice. Well, the taxes you pay, that's blood sacrifice. I mean, how did you have the money to... Give that. That's your labor. Those are heartbeats. You know, if you have to give 10, 20, 30, 40% of everything you earn away, it's taken away from you before you even get it. That's your blood that's going. It's not necessarily oppression. It may be justice that that be taken away from you. Because you were slothful in the ways of righteousness. The slothful shall be under tribute. That's just. You should be under tribute because you've been slothful in the ways of righteousness. What are the righteousness ways? The righteous giveth and spareth not. He not only will share his coat, <laughs> his extra coat, he will even take off his coat and give to another. There was an incident where Peter was missing his cloak and Jesus was going to give him his. Oh my gosh, oh, Peter didn't want to do that. He shut up after that. You know, like I said, Habakkuk, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. Those who take the benefits, those who apply for the benefits, those who desire the benefits, who have become accustomed to desiring those benefits. And we haven't even got into the New Testament. Second Peter 2, 3. People are always bringing up Second Peter, but how about Second Peter, chapter two, verse three? And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. What's he talking about? 
desiring benefits from those benefactors of the governments of the pagan Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Over and over again. It's repeated. But modern Christians imagine that they're following Christ when they are actually doing contrary to what Christ said. And this really got going, like I said, with FDR and LBJ and then Cloward and Piven. We have articles up at preparingyou.com that show you what Cloward and Piven said they were going to do, and they did, and they went to the White House and were wined and dined, and their whole goal is Marxist state. They want to bring down... America, destroy America and American values. And they know they have to destroy uh, family and have the uh, complete destruction of individual rights. This is their goal. They've written it out and explained it. While you were watching TV, you know, Friends and Seinfeld, <laughs> they were doing this behind the scenes. And altering your school textbooks. But you still send your kids to public school and wonder why they have these crazy ideas. You you will probably lose the vote this year. And not that the vote is your salvation. Salvation is repentance and following the ways of Christ. But you think, you still have hope that, well, we'll, we'll vote them out and we'll vote our guys in. Lots of luck with that. Because the young people's minds have already been stolen while you were watching Seinfeld. This requires that we return from the political institutions from the past that are now allowing us to be torn apart and come together regardless of race or politics and institute a more intimate and ancient way to govern ourselves. That way has been deleted from our collective memory, but is being rediscovered by those willing to seek a more righteous way, which is what Christ was all about. Seeking seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God means you have to take care of one another, not through force, not through exercising authorities, not through covetous practices, but through free will offerings in charity, which is the result of individual choices. Now, you have to keep those choices on an individual but intimate level. And that's what the tens, hundreds, and thousands do. If you create a charity like Red Cross and you give to Red Cross, they will help out lots of people. But the head of Red Cross will pull down four hundred to $600,000 salaries. And lots of money will be wasted because you're sending to a central authority that is top down. But the kingdom of God is always bottom up. You only give to your local minister. He only gives to his minister. And he only gives to his minister. It's from the bottom up. It's grassroots. In order to make that happen, you have to sit down and organize yourselves as Christ commanded in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I'm not going to organize you. 
I'm going to require that you organize yourselves. Because Christ commanded that I require that you organize yourselves. That's just the way it is. You know, in uh, D'Angelo's book, which I guess we can get into a little bit. You know, we've mentioned it several times. Her book is uh, White Fragility. It's published in 2018. It's already been bestseller. Uh, and New York Times has written about it. Of course, New York Times is doing the uh, 1619 Project, too. <laughs> it's just a total travesty. Now, there, the truth is out there, but you have to look for it. And, of course, Google and Facebook are going to try to filter out the real truth. Of history. And, and it's, the thing is, is that a lot of people are going to gravitate towards the lie because the lie is catering to something they want to believe. Everybody wants to believe it's not my fault. Everybody wants to believe that it's somebody else's fault. And of course, the 1619 Project, oh, White fragility is saying that all the time. It's not your fault. Even even the fact all whites are racist. No blacks are racist. Blacks can't be racist. Whites are racist because they have the power. Well, I can tell you this. When I used I I've lived in numerous black communities: Watts, uh, Fillmore and Eddy in San Francisco, and and. In Minneapolis and Baltimore and I was often living in these black communities amongst the black people there on a regular basis. And, uh, I, I, I could see things but, but I'm supposed to be racist automatically because I'm white but in those communities when you're surrounded by 200 black guys who are angry because they just killed Martin Luther King they have the power <laughs> okay <laughs> so they can be racist but what disarms that and destroys that is the righteousness of God but you're out of practice in the righteousness of God just as that covetous is pervasive throughout the system of covetousness the system of personal sacrifice Changes the nature of that surrounds you. Changes the world around you. It 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 is actually the power. It not only can heal, but it can stop violence. It can stop the destruction. You're not going to stop the destructive spirit by bringing in troops and police. You may need to do that. But that's not going to stop the destructive spirit any more than masks will stop the virus. (laughs) Masks don't stop the virus. That's another topic, but we won't jump ship onto that. But uh, I've been sharing a lot of these things with people and contemplating and writing and making notes and trying to see how this all fits together. But then you have these lying snakes wander around in your garden like uh and, and I don't want to pick up just on Robin. She's she's a victim as well, but she's also victimizing. 
you know, she gives you this choice that you're either a fragile racist or a racist fragile person. I mean, that's basically it. And she talks about racial trauma and all this kind of stuff. Like the Irish, like I said, the French, who are the Gauls, they were all traumatized by Caesars or Plantagenets or whoever, by other whites. And at the same time, although we don't have much of that written history, but I can certainly come up with some history. All throughout Africa, blacks were enslaving other blacks. And certainly blacks were enslaving whites. Whites were being sold as a premium in northern Africa. You could get ten times the amount for a white woman as you could for a black woman. It was just supply and demand. Which is why millions were sold into slavery. Into, a, I mean, really serious, uh, abominable, brutal slavery. Uh, and that went on for centuries. So, like I said, that's trauma. All that's trauma. How do you get over trauma? Christ has the plan. Forgiveness. Not reparations. Forgiveness. Forgiveness will... Reparations will just give you an appetite for more. It will not save you. And and it's, it's a pipe dream anyway. Forgiveness is the answer. So anyway, we're going to talk more about the answer when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom so that you can actually understand what's going on here. Well, welcome back. So I, I was just going to throw out a few quotes from her book. Like she says, all white people are invested in the in and collude with racism. Well, you know, my own great-grandfather was persecuted because of the fact that he was smuggling slaves in the Underground Railroad. And uh, for a lot of other reasons. Uh, but he did not carry that resentment. And he didn't conclude, uh, collude with racism. The idea that all white people do anything is racist. <laughs> that is racist. Because you're judging somebody upon the color of their skin and not the content of their character or what they do or what their sacrifice that they made. One person pointed out the fact that 360,000 Americans died in the Civil War uh, fighting to free the slaves. Supposedly, that's the theory. Uh, We'll just keep it simple and say that that's why they were fighting. But the idea that they were all fighting for that reason is ridiculous. But uh, the reality is is that that's pretty much reparations. (laughs) I think that covers reparations, the millions upon millions of dollars spent to free the slaves, uh, the millions and billions and trillions of dollars that has gone into affirmative action and welfare and all that stuff, which actually was making things worse for the black. But if you want to put it down to dollars and cents, reparations has already been paid. And besides that, none of that makes any sense unless you think of everybody as the collective. If they're thinking of you as a collective, they've already killed the individual. And rights are held by individuals, not by collectives. Collectives remove rights. They don't, they, they don't secure rights. They remove rights because now as that member, as that thing, as that merchandise, as that human resource, your individuality is gone. And this, 
D'Angelo is making war on the individual, like all Marxists do. Because Marxism doesn't work amongst individuals. It's not needed amongst righteous individuals. So she writes, the white collective fundamentally hates blackness for what it reminds us of. (laughs) That's nonsense. That we are capable and guilty of uh, perpetrating immeasurable harm and that our gains come through subjugation of others. Well, uh, Italians did this. Like I said, Caesar did it. Julius Caesar did it before he was emperor. Uh, the Plantagenets, the English, the Tudors, they all did it. FDR did it. He, he made slavery legal again in America. Only as the collective. See, that's, collective slavery is okay among socialists and Marxists because you have somebody who exercises authority. You work, they take the benefit of your labor away from you and they redistribute it to somebody else. That's slavery, folks. All socialism is slavery. It's this collective slavery. And you're, you think you're going to vote in the guys who are going to redistribute the wealth properly? Well, if you, you're, if you're ten guys, you might be able to do that. <laughs> but if you're a million guys, it ain't gonna happen. So, and secondly, D'Angelo argues that the white person who does not admit to their own racism is blinded by their white fragility. So, if you make any argument against the fact that you're, you say you're not racist, you, you're against racism, that you've never been for that, you're guilty. That's proof you're guilty. She goes on to say, socialized into deeply internalized sense of superiority that we either are unaware of or can never admit to ourselves, we become highly fragile in conversations about race. I'm not fragile. (laughs) Conversation, and I can tell you, uh, there's a lot of other people, black guys I know that are not fragile in the conversation about race. Again, what is the cause of racism? Racism. Race is a social construct. It's invented. It's fairly easy to invent if you have somebody that is dark, dark black and somebody who is white, white, white. You can easily say, I can see a difference. He's very black and he's very white. And so we can, you know, they had the old uh, Star Trek uh, show where the guy was, one guy was half white and half black. And the other guy was half black and half white. And they were, they were at war with each other uh, all the time because he was black and white and I'm white and black. <laughs> and they were fighting on board the Starship Enterprise. But, you know, it's a social construct. It's in your imagination. There is no race. There's just lightly complected people and dark complected people in different degrees of that complexion. 
you're, there's good and bad amongst both of them, but not according to Robin. You're all racist. Now, if you want to be saved from your racism, then you have to buy her book. And, uh, it's, it's nonsense. This, it, it's, you, you, you cannot, it's what they, they use the word unfalsifiable. You cannot argue against her white fragility. If you're arguing against it, that's proof you're guilty. You know, she goes on to say, the mere suggestion that being white has meaning often triggers a range of defensive responses. I'm just saying that she's a liar. <laughs> I'm just saying that her, her, she lacks logic. She gives, she uses misinformation. And she uses these fallacies. The, the Kafka trap is one of the most common ones. That if, if you know what, you know, the Kafka trap is, uh, uh, a sophistical rhetorical device in which any denial by the accused serves as evidence of guilt. You know, Jill and Jack, uh, or Jill says Jack is paranoid. When he told her he was not, she just nodded knowingly. See, you, you, you know, why are you persecuting me? Because <laughs> you're paranoid. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Because you, you're arguing against it. No, so it's 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 nonsense. It's circular, totally circular logic in a kind of an oval shape. But anyway, she talks about racial hierarchy. Like I say, if you're you're on the corner of Fillmore and Eddy in San Francisco, at least it used to be that way, I haven't been there in a while, and you're white, you're not the racial hierarchy. <laughs> they are. They are in control. Uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> so, especially at midnight. They have a tremendous amount of control at midnight. I mean, cops don't even go in those streets at midnight. I used to. Because I I belong to God. That's that's just the way it works. And they talk about legal systems are established out of uh, the justice or righteousness of the hearts of society. That's she's trying to tear down the legal system. What you have to what happens when society is moving and becoming that degenerative society? It's not exercising that individual choice. That righteousness. See, it's not enough to seek the kingdom of God. You have to seek the righteousness of God. And the less you depend upon the men who call themselves benefactors, and the more you depend upon that righteous operation of choice, allowing others, you only can hope that others, there is no entitlements in the kingdom of God. That's why you can't earn it. It's not to, you're not going to earn salvation. There's no entitlement to salvation. You seek it and you hope. Well, you have to do the same in your relationship with each other. Again, pure religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your duty to your fellow man. Your duty to your fellow man is to love him and hope that he loves you back when you need help. That's a different way of thinking than everybody's going. They want guarantees. They want you to wear a mask to guarantee that they won't get sick. 
Why don't you just wear a mask and leave me alone? <laughs> right? You, aren't you going to be safe? You go get a vaccine. If it works, then you're safe. What are you worried about me? Why are you forcing me to get it? The nature of this other way of Marxism, of socialism, of progressivism, of the collective, is it must destroy the individual. Must take away the choice of the individual. You can't choose what you can say. You know, you want to get rid of racism? Best advice I ever heard about getting rid of racism or at least the most simplistic, was Morgan Freeman, who said to, was it, to Mike Wallace, stop talking about it. Morgan Freeman doesn't think that there's any real racism, systemic racism in America. You can become a success if you just apply yourself in the right way. Thomas Sowell, Booker T. Washington, who was the Tuskegee wizard, they called him. They understood this, or Thomas Sowell's still around. He understood it. But, uh, you know, Frederick Douglass, he understood it. You should go read those guys. Walter E. Williams, he's a modern guy. Even the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas says some wise things once in a while. Bob Woodson, Jason Riley, Shelby Steele. We'll be putting up some of their videos and some of the interviews that they have because I, I was listening to some of them to get other opinions about D'Angelo's book. And they think that this is, it, her book is terrible. It's horrible. You know, I mean, uh, Jason Riley says, my beef with the black left is that they want to keep the focus on what government or Washington or politicians or whites in general can do for blacks instead of what blacks can do for themselves. This was basically what Malcolm X was saying. Although I I'm not I don't want to compare Jason Riley with Malcolm X. I think Jason Riley is a, a lot better grasp of things. You know, but he's the one who, you know who says please stop helping us. <laughs> And he, he writes a book on how liberals make it harder for blacks to succeed. And and D'Angelo is a part of that same problem. Shelby Steele. Is white guilt destroying the promise of civil rights? These guys have a much better grasp. But they're not necessarily the best sellers. I think they might. I, I, I don't know. They might have some. Thomas Sowell has... Some interesting books out as well. These are what you should be promoting, but this is not this is not what's going to be promoted on uh, Facebook unless you do it uh, in, in the Google search engines. I don't know if you have any control over that. I heard that there's a lot of other things other than YouTube. YouTube's come and bought up, but there's others like. Library, I, th- I think they spell it L-B-R-Y, and then there's uh, other of these deals. Join the network. We'll discuss that. Uh, you can go to preparingyou.com, join the network. You have to become, in this network, the source of information. You have to share this information out there for those who will hear it, who have ears to hear and eyes to see, because they have been kept from the truth. And the truth matters. 
we have we have to take a look deeper. You know, there's a lot of other guys, uh, uh, Talib uh, Starks, uh, Larry Elder, Herman Cain, uh, Jay Steffens, lots of different names of people that are getting a much clearer picture, and they're but the media is keeping you from it, and. You have to become a spreader of this good news. And and actually, some of these writers, they need to hear the rest of the story. They're not far from the kingdom sometimes. Some of these speakers and writers, uh, you know, being called Uncle Toms and what have you, they are not far from the kingdom. We need to communicate with them. We need to communicate with others because... People are being bombarded by the lie that they're telling often and more exaggerated forms of it all the time. I I hear these people screaming. You know, like I said, that one girl screaming at the black cops. And the, I give you dozens of examples. There's such anger. such lo- They are lost sheep. I was out last night, 2 o'clock. There was at least coyotes out there. There could have been a wolf. I don't know. I heard a noise that sounded much deeper than a coyote. And I heard it several times and I got out there and was walking around. Uh, and uh, the sheep were definitely spooked. And uh, in a tight little bundle. They they know enough to come together. And uh, you need to come together. You need to come together because... The enemy is upon us. Uh, they they are working hard. They are organized. They are uh, spreading their philosophy of destruction and hate and covetousness amongst your youth. They've been doing it for a long time. Those of you who are just waking up a little bit need to wake up more. And you need to gather because the there's... That these theories are and ideas are are insidious and pervasive throughout society. You need to awaken as many people as you can, and you need to bring them together into a network that begins to practice the truth and the way and the life of Christ. Not this fake religious, I believe in Jesus stuff, but actually begin to do what Jesus said, what John the Baptist said, what Moses said, what all the prophets said, which is to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and stop following the ways of force and fear and violence and oaths of fealty to obtain benefits at the expense of others because it's altering you. You want to be born again. You have to be born again of the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ was freely given. Freely lay down your life for others. That's that's where you need to be going. That's where you need to be heading. That's what you need to be seeking. And And like it says... You know, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. Now, those of you who are familiar with the network, you don't send to me. You know, there are a few people who donate to us. We don't live on donations. We 
live by the sweat of our brow just like anybody else. But in order for us to create that daily ministration of righteousness, you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, thousands, and you give to your minister. And it's filtered through individual choice. He gives to his minister. And then he gives to his minister. Otherwise, you will have no other alternative than to eat at the table of men who exercise authority. And they are run by the spirit that is also the spirit of destruction. The spirit of covetousness is the spirit of destruction. The spirit of force, they institute the spirit of force and violence because they are born of that spirit. Christ is not born of that spirit. His blood is not of that blood. And unless you eat of the blood of Christ, this is what he's talking about, and the flesh of Christ, and the way of Christ, you shall perish. If you go the way of Christ, do what he commanded, seek his ways, then a spiritual power can intervene and protect you even though you've done all these bad things in the past, it can come in, and Christ gives you a whole thing about he's bringing people into the kingdom. He's giving them the coverture of the kingdom at the last minute. And they say, us, why us? And what did he say? Because you clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You visited me when I was in prison, when I was oppressed. By the great oppressors of the world. And they said, when did we do these things? He said, when you did them to the least of my brethren. You did them also to me. Who's his brethren? Is it everybody who wears a collar? Everybody who says he's a minister? Everybody who gets up in a pulpit and preaches about how much he loves Jesus and how much we all love Jesus and how much Jesus loves us? Is that his brethren? No, that's not what Jesus says. My brethren is those who do the will of my Father. Is it the will of your Father to covet your neighbor's goods the men who exercise authority one over the other? Has it ever been the will of God that you live by forcing and coveting your neighbor's contributions? Has that ever been the will of the Father? No. Fathers of the earth think that's okay. Robin D'Angelo thinks that's okay. Socialist thinks that's okay. Communist thinks that's okay. But Christ never thought that was okay. And he never preached that way. He preached another way. So it's time for us to do some repenting and some turning around because we are certainly in need of repentance. You know, Paul goes through a whole long list. You know, people said you're not saved by works and all that stuff. But yet, James says something about by their works you shall know. By their fruits you shall know. So, know what? Know who believes. You know, and in Romans one twenty-seven, we could start there. Or maybe we'll start in 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature they're given up to this because they've made some choices 
You see, that's where you do have a choice to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness or seek the kingdoms of the world and their unrighteous, covetous practices. And likewise, also men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. They're given over to this. Likewise, because it said begin, gave them up. And likewise, men with men gave them up. They don't have any control over this. But as they begin to see this other way, a new understanding can be born in them. It's not a matter of struggle and beating each other up and it's it's showing you the signs of the times. So what's the signs in you? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they'd rather imagine God who he was, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Are we seeing that? You know, the modern scapegoat are these statues. The principle of the scapegoat is these statues. They tip over a statue and they all are virtue signaling themselves. Their malicious destruction of other people's property is their scapegoat. The, the, the white woman yelling at the black police officers, condemning them, while she supports Black Lives Matter. This she she has been giving over to this reprobate mind. She doesn't know it, and we we should not hate her. We should love her. We shouldn't excuse her. We shouldn't make excuses for her. And you might even have to attack her delusion. <laughs> Eventually, you might not want to start with that because she's so worked up. She can't see the truth. Full of envy. Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispering, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. From such, we should turn away. So anyway, join us on the network. Uh, and uh, start becoming that living network of righteousness. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.